episode 192 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. The Ground School app contains knowledge and skill videos. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's podcast is a little bit different than what you are used to. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, it's an old episode. I am re-releasing an old episode today for, for, like I said, two reasons. One, because I think it gets lost. I don't think enough people go all the way back to the beginning to hear the episode. And number two, most importantly, I want to see the growth and have you see the growth of where I started versus where I am now. It's uh, really funny, the editing style, how I sound on the radio or podcast, or maybe you think that I sound the same or I sound worse. So let me know. I think it's really really kind of cool and interesting to see that Uh, there's a whole intro coming up soon it's going to say welcome to episode two and all that kind of stuff and aviation's not there and ab it's just it's crazy to to see and to see the progress of where we are today so i hope you enjoy this episode without any further ado here's episode two of the pilot the pilot podcast with Corey scout episode two of the pilot the pilot podcast takes off now Hello, aviators, and welcome to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today, we're talking with one of my favorite Instagram accounts, Pilot Vlogs, also known as Corey Scout. Corey was an awesome guest and has a great aviation story. In this episode, we find out why Corey became a pilot, has he ever failed a check ride, his path from becoming a flight instructor to a corporate pilot, how he overcame doubts about being a pilot and pursued his dream, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did, and without further ado, Corey Scow. Hey, Corey, thanks for joining the Pilot to Pilot podcast. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Justin. No problem, man. I'm finally glad we could get you on the show. I know we've been talking for a while and trying to set this up. Yeah, I'm glad it finally worked out. Aviation schedule gods were nice to us this week. Yeah, aviation schedules can be hard to match up. Well, cool, man. I want to go ahead and start out. Why don't you go ahead and uh, just talk about your story and how you got into aviation? Okay. Well, you know, I didn't decide until I was a senior in high school. I was already committed to go to another university and uh, study a different field. And, you know, my aviation was always in the blood. My grandfather was in the Air Force. My other grandfather had owned three different airplanes when I was growing up. And uh, my dad was a big aviation buff. You know, we'd go to all the flight museums and air shows and that kind of thing. But never really considered it as a career until I bought Microsoft Flight Simulator 2000. And I started playing that. And then I realized I could get paid to basically play a video game, which is a 17-year-old really intrigued me. And um, just told my parents, I said, hey, I, I want to look into flight school and be a pilot. So we decided to do three different college tours and go look at some different schools. Like, I think uh, North Dakota, uh, Embry-Riddle, and Arizona and Utah State University. And we took the first one. It was over President's Day weekend. We went and did a college campus tour at Utah State University. And I had had some family out in Utah. I was living in Denver at the time, going to high school, and uh, fell in love with the campus. They took me up on a discovery flight and just had this feeling like that's where I needed to go to school. And from then on, I said, okay, that's it. I was all in on being a pilot. Went And they had a summer program out there. I 
was able to get my private pilot's license before the first semester of school even started. So, you know, it was just like, just gung ho. I just went for it. And, uh, that's kind of where I got my start was Microsoft flight simulator. So, you know, all you, you sim geeks out there, like a, you can, you can turn that passion into, into a profession real easy. That's awesome. Yeah. Just whenever I'm on Instagram, I always look under the hashtag avgeek and half the pictures I think are of flight simulators. So Definitely, if you are into flight simulator, that can translate into becoming a real pilot. And it's just like you said, it is like a video game in real life, which is absolutely. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So when you decided about Utah State, did you go visit any other colleges? Like what made you choose Utah State over, say, Arizona or North Dakota? Because I know North Dakota and Embry-Riddle even have like such a great name to them. Like every North Dakota is a huge flight school. Did you go visit and like look into maintenance programs? Did you talk to flight instructors, the chief pilot at the actual flight school, or what did you do? Yeah, I I visited with the um, aviation career counselor for the school or whatever you call it, you know, who's ever in charge of kind of set up the curriculum. Met with the flight instructor, was super cool. And and really, it was the campus. Like, I just, I I can't explain other more than it was just like a feeling I had, like, this is where I need to go to school. And it helped, like, my cousins were down south going to school in utah and then like my grandma lived like an hour away so like i said i had some family there that played into it but i really just fell in love with the campus and everybody was super friendly i i I didn't even go visit the other two schools i just knew like that was it and the fact that they had that summer program and they and i think they still offer it to this day where it allows you to jump start like i graduated high school and three weeks later i was in flight training and i just that's awesome yeah like that was kind of that was a big selling point for me too that's uh, completely different from what I experienced. I went to Ohio State, and it was only my fault because I played football when I was in college. And it took me three years from my first flight lesson to actually finish my private pilot license. But that is because every single time I got close to taking my check ride, I had to commit all my time to football. Oh. And I was gone for six to eight months. And then I would come back, and I'd be like, all right, I don't remember how to fly an airplane. It'd be like starting over from from square one all over again. It took me three years, which is kind of frustrating. That's tough. Yeah, we had some athletes in the yeah. program too. And I remember, yeah, that just, it adds time, but it's yeah, tough. It does. So going back to your training, how did you have any difficulties when training? Like, was there anything that was hard to commit to memory? Did you have trouble with any maneuvers or did was everything pretty smooth for you? Everything was pretty smooth. Like, I don't want, like, it, like flying kind of came natural to me, like, because I loved it. Like, it was easy to be engaged in it. I think if I was only kind of like half in on it, I wouldn't have cared as much. I really, I still use, I used flight simulator a lot during my training, especially my instrument training. I, I really believe that helped. Um, yeah. It, commercial maneuvers, some of the commercial maneuvers, I didn't like the lazy eights. I hated lazy eights. Like those were, yeah. I, I, I took me forever to figure that really? out. Like Shondells were pretty easy. Power off one eighties, that kind of <laughs> stuff. I could do that. Yeah. Lazy eights. I could never quite figure it out. And I was able to get by somehow. Um, but you know, that was the hardest That's part of awesome. the training. My flight instructor called them. He didn't want to do lazy eights with me. He wanted to do crazy eights. So that, that's a smart way to do it. Fun twist to it. Yeah. My least favorite commercial maneuver was the eights on pylons because it doesn't have to do with how you fly. It has to do with what point you pick. Yeah. And you're at the, there's so many determining factors, whether it's the wind or whether it's just, you had the wrong power setting in or pick the terrible points. You could fail your check right off of what mm-hmm. you picked. Like you can fly the airplane, but you pick two bad points on eights on pylons and that's it. Yeah. You know, and there's looking back, you're like, I never do this stuff anymore, but it does help you learn. It's all about controlling the airplane and, and understanding relations between, you know, pitch and speed and wind and all that stuff. So without a doubt. Yeah. There's a reason why you have to do it. And even if it is a little outdated, yeah. it's still a good thing to do. 
All right, Corey, so you said after your commercial rating, you became a flight instructor. Why did you choose a flight instructor instead of, say, aerial survey or fly skydivers? You know, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities at the time. I, I got into flight instructing in 2007. So it was kind of right before the economy was going to kind of tank. And, the, you know, here, here's a story for you. I got into flight instructing at, I didn't teach at the university. I taught at the local flight school at the airport, which ended up being a cool thing. It was only because I failed my flight instructor check ride too. Oh. I failed it twice. So, yeah. so you know, I, I go down and I pass the ground and, and that was the part I was more scared about. I thought the flying was going to be easy. Right. So we go down the next day because it was late the first day and he fails me on a pre-flight check. Are you serious? Yeah. And he said oh the gosh. struts were overfilled. And that I missed a hinge that was open on the cow, which to this day swear that he opened it after I had walked around and caught it. Something like that stands out pretty much, you know, unless I completely nervous and blocked it. But yeah. it's a pre-flight check. And then, and then the struts, I went. I later talked to the mechanics. He says, that's how we just fill them up because it's a training airplane. And if we fill them up to exactly what they say in the POH, then, you know, like they would just be filling them up all the time because they take such a beating. And, you know, I didn't really know that. I, I don't think you like the way I explained it. Why? Anyways, so failed it. And then went back and we talked about the lazy eights. I think I, I failed again. Oh, I failed on a, a rectangular course when we finally got up in the air. Just just a brain fart. It had been about a month or so since this had happened. We were able to reschedule it. Super easy maneuver. Just blanked out, you know, just check right nerves, failed it again. So finally, anyways, this point, the university, it was like October. And the university was kind of done hiring flight instructors for the year. So I missed out on that because I originally started trying to take my check right in August and was hoping to make that cut. Didn't. But it ended up being a blessing because the flight school across the street was offering salary, which for a flight instructor, I was like, okay, you know, it was like $2,000 a month and they were going to pay for my multi-engine instructor rating. Wow. Um, I ended up getting like 30 plus free hours of multi-engine time and uh so it just like it made sense to me to go that route and flight instruct and also i knew that was going to be the best way to get hours and to improve my skills as a pilot because i'm not i could fly but like systems knowledge had always it's always been my my weakness my achilles heel as an aviator and this way i was able to learn and really dive in and and teach and it was i learned more than i probably taught my students in my two years of that's awesome that's that's kind of how you want it to be, though. I mean, you still want to learn, too. I think M0A, Jason Chapper talks about how a good pilot is always learning. So mm-hmm. just because you're a flight instructor doesn't mean you're done. Like, you still need to improve on where you are. You don't want to stay stagnant. Yep, absolutely. Did you take both of them with the same examiner, or did you schedule a new examiner for the second one or third one? It was all the same examiner at the time. The The local FISDO was assigning instructors your yeah. your guys and so you know before you could kind of pick and request and, and i right. kind of got in the time they're like no we're not doing that and i got assigned to a guy that kind of had you know the reputation of you know whatever yep. it was the old sky west chief pilot and he was a good dude but it kind of a little crusty a little bit so yeah uh, yeah <laughs> that's never fun <laughs> so. that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to be a flight instructor, there was a couple of them. Number one was I didn't like how the FISDO told you who your who your examiner was. Right. Number two, I didn't want to take the nine hour ground that all the horror stories that I've heard about. Yeah, I, I got lucky. Mine was only like three hours, maybe. Oh wow. Yeah, that's it wasn't awesome. too bad. So that's not bad at all. That's good to hear. Then. <laughs> yeah, there's hope. <laughs> Yeah. The third reason was I was just tired of paying to fly and I was tired of taking tests. 
because you just take tests your whole aviation career, and then mm-hmm. you have what your FOI, your F. There's three written tests you have to take. You have to take a ground. You have to take your flight exam, and then if you want to do your instrument, you have to do it all over again, and then multi-engine all over again. And I was just ready to finally be paid to fly. Yeah, whatever you can do to get paid. Yeah, <laughs> and, as fast as possible and fly you know bigger airplanes and get out of 152s yeah. or whatever yeah so since you chose the local flight school i'm guessing you had two different experiences with uh part 141 and part 61 schools. is that correct yeah i did all my training under 141 and then the flight school we were part 61 and and you know kind of in the process we were set up like a 141 school but we're yeah. just kind of waiting the approval of of that so when the school was 61, did you notice any differences between a 61 and 141 that you liked or that you didn't like? I liked some of the flexibility of the 61. You know, I mean, 141, everything was so documented and, right. and that wasn't my favorite part. Um, but, you know, the part 61, there's a little more flexibility there and how we could set up a curriculum and course. And, and I enjoyed that. I love flexibility and, and being able to kind of tailor things more to, to students' needs. I, I like that. I completely agree. I, mean, I did. I got my private pilot license at Ohio State, and that was 141, very structured. And then I got my instrument, commercial, and all the others down in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a local flight school, flying 61. And the part 61 was just so much more fun for me, like the less structure. Like if I was struggling with a concept, we could go do something else and we could kind of get my mind off of rather than have on this timeline where we have to do this, 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 and this, and then you get to do this. You can't, you know, yeah. it's just part 141 is great in some aspects, but I think the flexibility of part 61 can really help a, a student out. Absolutely. And I, th- I hope they're changing that. It sounds like with the scenario-based training, it's becoming more organic and how you learn. And, and I like that, but you know, the implementation of that's probably still a little, little clunky and, but hopefully we're changing that. Yeah. And of course the, one of the main benefits of going to a 141 school is you can get the restricted ATP at a thousand or 1200 hours. So that's definitely a plus. Yeah. So now, you know, they've, they've really put the emphasis on the 141 schools and the guys that are now, I know a lot of guys that did 61 and are, and are flying for the airlines now and, and they're, they're fine, but something to consider in your goals. Yeah, when you're choosing a school, it's do you want to? That's another mm-hmm. 500 hours or 300 hours you're going to have to come up with. So it's definitely worth the structure and worth. Maybe it might cost you a little bit more money, but in the long run, it will mm-hmm. be worth the investment. So now you're you were flight instructor. How long did you flight instruct for? I flight instructed for about two and a half years full time. Okay. Yeah. How many hours did you say you got per year or per month, even when you're flight instructing? Uh, you know. Uh, we had some slower times, um, just, you know, kind of seasonally, like, so I would probably say we averaged on year, you know, about 400 hours. That's not too bad. Not, not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We, we just hired a new guy at our company and I think he averaged like 15 hours a month and I was like, Oh my goodness, (laughs) that sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, when you were flight instructing, did you have a set number that you wanted to get to before you decided to leave or did you just were you constantly looking for a new job the whole time? The thousand hours was a big deal. You know, at the time that was the regional minimum and I always had my heart set on going to a regional. So I was like, I gotta get my thousand and a hundred thousand right. and a hundred. And this was before the whole, you know, ATP thing came into right. play. Too. So I, I wasn't really considering that it was just a thousand and a hundred part of the stipulation for signing on for the salary is, you know, the owner of the flight school knew he was losing guys. So I signed an 18 month, I think contract or okay. somewhere, somewhere around there. So I knew I had to stay there and I was just like, if I can get that time and I was pretty close to hitting that in the, 
um, the 18 months. And then I stayed on, you know, for another almost year after that. Oh, nice. What was your next job? Was it a regional or was it straight into corporate aviation? I went right into corporate aviation and this is kind of how it happened. It was not like being there. I kind of made some friends with some of the local corporate pilots and kind of started to envy it, but really never considered it as a career Right. until one time I was, it was my wife's birthday and I'd taken the day off from work. And I was like, I don't want to talk to anybody from work. It was just <laughs> kind of, you know, getting into the spring and, and, uh, my boss called me and I'm like, I'm not getting it. I'm off today. I don't want to talk to anybody called me three times. And I was like, all right, what's going on? Finally, I called him back and he said, Hey, do you want to go fly a citation? And I was like, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. He's like, okay, call this guy. And, uh, here's, he has the trip. He needs someone to sit in the right seat. It was just a citation on course. So I didn't need to be typed or anything and called him up and he says, Oh yeah, here's the trip. Like meet me down here this day, blah, blah, blah. We're going to be gone. It's three days. And we'll airline you home. Wow. And we're going to like Lincoln, Nebraska, a couple other places out there in the Midwest, Kansas City. Um, I think Heber City, Utah was on there. So I was like, okay, this is cool. And uh, met up with the guy. And then at the end of the trip, he says, oh, hey, and send in a bill for what I think they paid me $200 a day yeah. to the secretary. And I was like, wait, I'm getting paid for this? Like, I thought I was just going to go sit there and fill a seat. And then they paid me. I was like, well, this is really cool. So, and then I got to be good friends with that guy. Like we just, we just hit it off. We had a good chemistry. This company was based out of Kansas city, Yeah. but they had the owner lived in Utah. And so we started doing a little bit of contract trips. The next one I did for him, I think we went down to the Bahamas. Oh, nice. Right there. I did some other stuff out in Kansas city back and shuttling the owner back and forth between, you know, the business and, and his home. Nice. Ended up turning out the owner of the company sold out of the company, bought a citation XLS, which required two pilots Yeah, and said, Hey, we want to bring you on not full time, but we want it. The owner was a pilot too. So he's like, he's going to go to school too, but if he can't fly, we need somebody, we want you to do it. We'll continue to pay you a daily rate, but we're going to get you the SIC type in the airplane. So I did that. That was in October. So it was March to October. So I did contract work for, I don't know what, what is that? Seven months or whatever. Yeah. It went more kind of, steady contract until June of the next year. So almost I've been kind of doing some work for this company for about 15 months. And then they bought a TBM 850 oh, nice. and they said, Hey, we want to bring you on full time. Can you go to school next week in Orlando? And and that was when I ended flight instructing and started flying the TBM full time with them and the citation. And that's how I got into it was my boss. I, I knew somebody that knew somebody and I wasn't a, a jerk and and they liked me and, and it went full time from there i would love to get an offer to go fly and right seat in a jet anytime yeah it you know like it just kind of right place right time you know it's so it goes back like i'd failed that if i hadn't have failed my cfi check right if i'd gone and flight instructed at the university my career path would be a complete 180 i'd yeah. be at the airlines now instead now i'm I'm doing the corporate stuff so it's just crazy those little things that can happen that you think stink end up being you know good things for you in your yeah, career. It's crazy how it all works out. It is really crazy. That's a, that's a great story though. It's awesome to hear like how in aviation, it really is about who you know. Like if you know someone that can offer you that right seat job, that just kind of mm-hmm. gets you right to where you're going to go and kind of take your career can just take off from there. Yeah. Talk, talk to everybody, get to know people, join the Facebook groups and forums and, and not just join them, like participate in them. You know, you'd be surprised who you can, 
network with and yeah and just go to the airport even if you're not flying just go to the airport talk to people you never know yep. who's gonna be sitting in there that has just some plane that you've always wanted to fly it's like hey you want to go up and fly be like uh yeah for sure yeah yeah and be a good person too don't you know like a lot of a lot of pilots get the stigma for having kind of type a brash personality right you know which is fine but know when to tone it down and, and just be cool with people and, right. and they'll open the doors to you let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor raa Did you know that making the right benefit elections during open enrollment can have a significant impact on both your current financial situation and your retirement? Schedule a free benefits optimization review with an RAA airline specialized advisor before your open enrollment window closes. In as little as 30 minutes, we'll help you build an open enrollment election plan that focuses on your unique situation. Schedule your free benefits optimization review with an RAA advisor by visiting raa.com backslash pilot to pilot today. You'll be glad you did. And now back to the episode. Now we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the new ATP rules where you have to have 1500 hours or if restricted ATP have a thousand hours. And when you become a new flight instructor, even after you get your multi-engine commercial rating, you have 300 hours, maybe 250 hours, whatever the rule is. What, what does your mindset need to be to get from being a first time flight instructor to actually prepare yourself to grind, to build those 1500 hours? Just put your head down and go to work yeah. and, and, and be patient. I mean, it's, you think, you know, everything at 250 hours. I can't tell you, like my knowledge, like exponentially grew from flight instructing, put your head down, go to work, be the best you can every time. Cause you got to get those hours somehow. Right. So you might as well, you have two choices. You can choose to not enjoy it, or you can choose to make the most of it. And, and there's going to be ups and downs while you're doing that. It, it's, it's gotta be a conscious choice to, I'm just going to be patient. I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to work hard and that'll benefit you. Like it's just, I mean, you and I are kind of talking like you got to pay your dues in this industries one way or another. And, and that's one way you have to do it. It's just got to be a mindset. Don't, don't quit. Like you've gotten that far. Like you're so close. It goes by so fast. Like the two years I was in flight instructing, I thought, you know, like at the time, like seemed like forever, but it was, it goes by so fast. Just enjoy it. For sure. It does go by fast. And I think it's important to remember Say you just became a flight instructor, you've only flown 10 hours in a couple months, and you're really down. Just remember why you started flying. Remember the feeling of when you first took off. Remember the excitement of your first solo. Just hold on to that feeling and pursue your dream as much as possible. Yeah, you know, one thing my boss used to do when I was flight instructing too, he encouraged us to just go rent an airplane, or, or sometimes he'd even let us take the airplane up and just go fly and not not teach and have fun with it. You know, if you can make learning fun for your students and if you can take time to, you know, enjoy it, it, it makes it a lot easier. We used to do fly-ins like we'd take students and, and we'd go do a fly-in and camp out at the backcountry airports of Utah. And it was great. It was a great way to keep that fun, you know, create a flying club. Think of things like that you can do that not only make it fun, but will help your resume. Like if you could say, hey, I organized this event. It was really cool. Like that will go a long way into getting that job as well. Yeah, well, that's awesome. That's a great idea is to try to have fun with it. Like, don't just stick to the rigorous um, 141 or even part 61 flying. Like, right. go enjoy it. God, we used to, in North Carolina, we used to go, it's called BQ1, and it's a fly-in barbecue restaurant. And it was it's the coolest experience. It's a small strip. It's like 2,000 feet, maybe 1,500 feet. You just go land in. There's a bunch of planes there with a big patio, and they just eat barbecue and watch people take off. It's like, nice. just have fun. Yeah, yeah, that's the key. You were, when you were flying with those jets and between the, that job you had and the job you had now, how did you go about getting your current job? Well, my current job, I'm a Challenger 300 captain. 
cool. uh, for a company called Jet Select here in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And I was with the last company um, from like 2010 to 2015 full time. I really loved the last job. The last job was really cool. There's there's different kinds of corporate flying. There's there's you, kind of the part 91, the owner, you know, private owner, what you fly with one guy. And we traveled all over the world. They paid for all of my stuff. I haven't paid for a round of golf in like seven years. That's nice. Um, they paid for all of that. They, I mean, we, we did some fun things, went to the Daytona 500, oh, tons cool. of baseball games, football games. And it was really cool. But the problem with that job was the schedule. I was on call all the time and the owner loved flying, loved being in the airplane. So we were always going down to San Diego or out yeah. to a boat in the Bahamas or wherever. And it was a lot of cool experiences. And I loved it and I loved the people, but it was hard at home, never knowing and being able to plan. The job I found now, I... I, didn't, I had no idea who Jet Select Aviation was. It's, we're just a 135 company, uh, but they requested to follow me on Instagram. Oh, cool. And I was like, okay, so I, who's Jet Select? So I went yeah. and looked at their website. Sure enough, hey, we're hiring Challenger 300 captains. And at the time, at my last job, they were selling the Challenger 300 that they owned, and we were going to a Phenom 100 and a Phenom 300. Okay. Two single pilot airplanes Yeah. with two pilots. So I saw what was going to happen here. I was going to be gone even more than I was right? because we didn't have a third guy. And it was like, okay, this is not good. <laughs> so, and, and I thought too, from, you know, there's something else you got to think about quality of time. A bunch of single pilot part 91 time is not going to weigh as much as a 135 captain time, right? With, you know, for resume purposes. So I thought, okay, I need to go get some good quality 135 time. They were hiring a street captain, which you don't see a whole lot. Um, interviewed with them. They offered me the job. I had kind of been looking for a way to get out of Utah for a little bit. I just needed a change of scenery, I think. Right. I there for like 11, 12 years and decided they offered me the slot here. I was able to get Columbus and we moved out here. That's, that's awesome. That's where I am now. And the rest is history. That's right. <laughs> You're definitely right when you talked about at a certain point, you need to start looking at the quality of time that you have. When I was doing aerial survey, I got to about 800 hours and I realized that for what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be, they're going to want to see more than me just flying in VFR only conditions and multi-engine planes. So Exactly. I started thinking, what could I do to make my time and my resume look better? I was looking into 135 and single pilot operations, and my wife knew some people up here in Northeast Ohio with this company, and I got this job, and now I'm flying single pilot IFR turbine time. So you just got to constantly be improving your resume as you keep going and going to get to where you want to get. Yep. Yeah, you have to think about it. You know, quality is, is just as important as quantity. I know they talk, a lot of companies want to see a lot of hours, but, you know, get yep. some good quality time. Yeah, I mean, when they come down to looking at two resumes, like they're going to be looking at someone, maybe you have 4,000 hours, they have 5,000 hours, but you have the type of flying that they're looking for. And that's just going to take you so much farther than, say, someone that has more time than you. Exactly. Now, have you had any scary experiences when you're flying, say, like with your students or even with uh, any of the companies you had? Have you had any? Have you ever had to declare an emergency or anything happen in flight? Uh, I had it. Yeah, we had an engine failure on our Twin Star. Oh, um, nice. when we yeah, it was it was kind of a it was it was kind of a really bummer actually. We'd planned it was um, me an instructor and a fellow, uh, and he was an instructor at the university, but he was working on his multi-engine time and his wife. So the four of us were all going to go down. We had this big trip planned. We were going to go to Vegas, and then we were going to end up, I think, in San Diego, and then fly back. 
So it was going to be awesome way to build time. The instructor was, I don't even know if he was charging us. So it was kind of like, cause he wanted the time too. Right. So it was kind of a deal like that. We were flying down. We were only maybe 45 minutes into the trip and all of a sudden the right engine quit and oh, we're at no. 12,000 feet. Like, Oh, great. So fortunately we were just West of Salt Lake city yeah. at the time and uh, declared an emergency and uh, we, the engine came back at one point. We're like, oh, okay, good. But we're just like, hey, we better still go in and land. Ended up fall, failing again. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so we came in. They closed uh, the FBO there in Salt Lake for the GA is on the east side. Right. Well, we didn't want to risk going all the way over there. So they closed down the west runway for us, held up. I mean, there were like probably 10 airliners lined up waiting for us to, to land. But then when we landed... It was the outboard engine that had failed, so it was hard to taxi. So we we couldn't taxi off the runway. So then they had to get the tug all the way from the east side out over to us, tug us off the airport. So I mean, there's we held up probably delayed. <laughs> for, I mean, it took 45 minutes to an hour. All these airlines sitting there, we felt really bad. Oh but, my gosh, um, they were cool about it. You know, we didn't didn't have any paperwork. They understood, nice. and uh, we were able to get on our way. But that was that was kind of a scary experience during my flight training, I didn't have too many with students that where they, they kind of freaked me out. I mean, there's always some landings where you have to get it the last second, <laughs> yeah. you know? So no, you my, plane, to, my plane, my <laughs> plane. Yeah. I did have a, a student. Um, he was switching his fuel tanks and oh, he had yeah. switched it instead of switching it from like left to right. He put oh, it in the no. off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we just finished like stall. So we were like, Oh crap. You know, luckily the first thing you learn, you know, and your, your checklist is your gas. Yeah. yeah. So we put it right back on the tank and, and, uh, came right back. It was non-issue, but, uh, had some issues now in the corporate world with weather, yeah. um, you know, flying thunderstorms. I hate thunderstorms. Oh uh, man. I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. you get rocked, some severe turbulence is never fun. No. Um, so yeah, some of those, some of those experiences, uh, we had, uh, Mitt Romney on board one night, actually, we had, we flew him a little bit. Oh, that's cool. And, uh, we were going, which he had to speak in Kansas city or something like that. And we knew it was a big, I mean, you know, some of you guys know how those big storms blow through the Midwest there. Well, we couldn't beat it. It, we were coming in and the storm was getting to Kansas city at the time. So we said, okay, well, let's go to Wichita, Wichita. The winds were 50 knots right across the runway. So that was going to happen. <laughs> yep. So at this point we're descending because they, the storm had just gotten there to Wichita. So it was good. And then it got really bad. And so we said, let's go to Hutchison, Kansas. That was shut down. That wasn't going to work. So we ended up having to divert way down South to Oklahoma city. Oh, wow. You know, this time we're 4,000 feet trying to figure this all out, getting, I mean, moderate to severe turbulence. Right. It was not fun, not fun. So yeah, stay away from thunderstorms and, um, you get some of those experiences. Come on. Most of the time though, it's pretty smooth sailing. No, that's the time where you need to make sure it's so important to take more fuel than you could ever imagine when you're flying around weather, because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> there have been so many times where it's a two hour flight, but you just take three or four hours of fuel. And there'll be times where you use everything up until your reserves, because you need to, like you said, you can't go to Wichita. You have to go to Oklahoma city when you try to want to go to Kansas city. And it's just, it's far away. And the lower you go, yeah. the more fuel you're going to burn. So it's always important to get more. It's always fun to go back and look at those flights on FlightAware <laughs> yeah. too. You can track and see, oh wow, we really deviated. Yeah. Quite a bit. It's always fun to go back and so, look at your flight. I like how FlightAware yeah. the radar makes it look a little worse than it actually was too. So when you show your friends, you're like, you see all that red I flew right. through? 
talking about switching the fuel, I actually had, I was doing aerial survey. We're flying over Durango, Colorado at 21,000 feet in an unpressurized Cessna 310. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we're up there for five hours. And my buddy, I was teaching him how to fly the 310, and he was switching the fuel tank over. But he didn't select the right fuel tank, like, perfectly in the indent. Oh. So the left fuel cut off and the engine cut off immediately. And he looked at me and he was like, what do I do? What do I do? And we immediately just grabbed, like you said, just in training, you go straight for the mixture, straight for the fuel. And I put it right back in the indent and the engine came back on just yeah. like that. But he was just like, I just, when that happened, your heart starts going. And you're like, what's happening? What's going on? It's But it's cool to think about how you think about your training like that's it's like muscle memory it is like i haven't done engine out or anything in a long time and immediately i went straight to my my mental checklist and i did everything i needed to do to make sure i was doing it right and it's crazy how fast it comes back too right like you like it's not like you gotta wait a minute for the i mean it you put it back on the gas and it almost instantaneously you get your engine again all right Corey, i've compiled a list of questions that we're going to call us the rapid fire section and it's just going to be Anything to do with aviation that you might use, like, or prefer? Yep. All right. So number one in the rapid fire, what's your favorite airport? Triple uh, seven. Favorite airport? Uh, Salt Lake. Do you prefer long trips or short trips? Short. Favorite aviation Instagram account to follow? Mm, I really like Pilot Wagner. Okay. Would you rather fly over cities, mountains, or the country? Uh, cities. If you weren't a pilot, what would you want to be? Professional speaker. Piper or Cessna? Cessna. Plane you've always wanted to fly? Triple seven. What is the one thing you have to have on you at all times while flying? GoPro. GoPro. Cool. What's the main purpose of behind starting your channel, Pilot Vlogs? Well, the main purpose was, there's okay, the main purpose was kind of selfish. Like, I had kind of got to a point where... Flying was was tough. It was be, like, honestly, hey, like be a pilot. It's great. But there's times when it's tough and it seems like you're doing the same thing over and over again and you're gone and you're missing things. And so I started to to feel that and was like, man, do I really still want to be a pilot? Like, and that's normal to go through. Like, so guys that are out there experiencing that, like you will question it. And then you go back, like we talked about, like you have to remember why you do it. And I, there's nothing else I could, I could do than, than be a pilot. But uh, so I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to start sharing this with everybody because I love it. I really do. And so by me sharing it and bringing people into my day and seeing behind the scenes, I remember being that three, we talk about that 300 hour instructor. I remember being that guy and just like, Oh, like, am I ever going to get there? And seeing other people go through it, like it was so motivating. I used to have a professor that would tell us Delta stories. He was an old Delta guy and it was so motivating. So I thought maybe in some way I can do that. And if there's only like two or three guys that are motivated by something I'm posting, then then that'll give me more value or, or you know, and help me enjoy it a little bit more. So that's that's kind of where it started. Ultimately, now I, I hope to help guys see what it's really like behind the scenes and and some of the decisions you have to make and the good and the bad and how really it's just an awesome profession. That's that's the goal now. For sure. And like you said, it, it is very much so an awesome profession, but it's very easy. So when you're getting like when you're really busy to start thinking about like, gosh, I really wish I was home. Like I'm missing things with for you. You're missing things with your kids. For me, missing hanging out with my wife, missing just daily life. And you can't go play golf whenever you want because you're out flying. But you got to remember, like you're out flying. You're doing the coolest thing that anyone could be. When you're out on the golf course, you're probably looking up at the planes flying above you being like, oh, I wonder where they're going. What are they doing? wonder what job he has, you know, kind of stuff like that. So it's always important to remember 
why you flew, like you said. And I think that your channel does a great job of showing behind the scenes. And I think that you're doing a really good job of creating content that is valuable for people that are just starting out flying or want to be a corporate pilot or just want to be a pilot in general. Well, uh, thank you very much. That no problem. means a lot. What is the overall goal for your channel? And would you say the overall goal is to try to help people get into aviation? Do you just want to motivate people to become pilots or to stay a pilot and try to get to the next level? You know, I, I made a, a YouTube video about this. If you want to check it out called why I vlog, mm-hmm. um, pilot style. And, and it's really because I know there's a lot of people that love aviation that have never had the opportunity to do it. So I hope to kind of bring them in and, you know, like my dad always had a goal of being a pilot and, you know, he had at the time like some eye issues and so he, he couldn't do it. Um, so it's for those people that have the dreams to, for those people that need the motivation, um, to stay in it. I hope that that's an end goal. Um, and, and also, uh, just to inspire the next generation that are right there that just want to know what it's like really behind the scenes, you know, to kind of create a brotherhood, I think too. So if you are going through a tough time, you know, Hey, I, I am too, like, it's right. normal. Like don't quit, you know, hang in there. I'm right. hanging in there. Let's, let's get through it. Uh, oh yeah. You know, I, I feel like if I'm going through something, it, it's probably so I can help somebody else. And, and that's kind of my mentality of sharing. I don't like, I don't live a glamorous life. I don't, you know, try and bring any attention to me. It's, it's really like, Hey, like let's, you know, we're all in this together. So right. hopefully you draw some strength from it. Right. Now, did you have anyone in particular that maybe motivated you to start a YouTube channel or to start an Instagram channel? Was there like one person that you like to watch that kind of helped you get through that, get to the next level in that process? Yeah. I'm a huge Gary V fan. Gary like, <laughs> yeah, that's my man right yeah. there. Like, you know what it all started? Like last year I had a time at, um, from like April to May where I only flew one week out of six weeks. Like oh, I had wow. five weeks off. And so I was just sitting home doing a bunch of yard work and I was like, I need to do something. I need to do something like I needed more work. I couldn't just sit around the house and right. do honeydews. That's not my style. Found Gary V on Twitter, then started listening to his podcast, um, from the ask Gary V show. Got, it, got super motivated, saw how he was using, I've always been intrigued by social and, the effect and in, in how you can influence and, you know, interact with other people. It's always intrigued me. Right. Saw how he was doing it. I actually started an aerial photography business. I got into drones. That oh, was nice. kind of where I originally was trying to go with all this. And then we got busy at work. And so I couldn't really focus on that, but I had, you know, the drone and, and the GoPro and I was like, okay, um, why don't I bring this into the cockpit? Right. And it was like, Ooh, this is really fun and got the mounts and everything and and then found some other people that were doing it um you know steve one canevo has a great channel another guy started watching there were really only two pilot vlogs that i kind of got into and then uh, captain moonbeam an older guy that out of st louis it's, it's pretty entertaining i like his his style of vlogging as well so <laughs> check him out yeah yeah he's, he's he's an older guy and, and it reminds me a lot of my old chief pilot just kind of super <laughs> chill guy love his love his vlogs that's um, awesome kind of his unique style to him. So, and I thought I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try it, you know? And so that's, that's kind of, and there's like, shoot, I'm just going to kind of be the Gary V of pilots. If I can, that's kind of, I think ideally where I'd like to be and oh, yeah. that kind of thing. But it's, it's a long ways to go. It's, a, it's a, I got my head down trying to be patient with it, doing as best as I can. It's awesome. Editing man. is hard when you're on the road all the time. It is um, very hard. So I've tried to hack different things using some different, you know, GoPro apps that make editing a little easier. So it's, it's experimenting, you know, it's a long road. It is. 
just keep creating that content and people will come. Yep. It's funny you say last year, I think last year about that time was when I found Casey Neistat's blog. And he, oh, very, he motivated me to same similar thing that you were going through. I was just, we weren't flying very much. I didn't know what to do. I was just playing video games. And my wife was like, <laughs> what are you doing with your life? And I was like, I'm a pilot. What do you mean? What am I doing with my life? Like, this is my job. And I was like, it's <laughs> like, no, you need to do something else. And I was like, fine. So I started looking at other things I could do, watch his vlog. And just, he really spoke to me and I wanted to try to be a creator. And now I'm like, yeah. you said, I'm trying to on that goal to try to create something that can be beneficial to someone else's life where I can motivate them to become a pilot or even a creator or something like that. Dude, that's awesome. Like I, I found Casey about the same time last year too, because I was looking for drone reviews. I wanted to see what, <laughs> and you know, I mean, Casey's obviously a huge drone guy. Yes. And the, but the first vlog of his I watched, I was like, who is this guy? This guy is so nuts. Like what? Yeah. I don't want to see him anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and then I watched his another one. I was like, Oh no, this guy is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so. His, his editing is just something I look up to so much. And just like, he has a good outlook on life and he's, yeah. Just very, I love the the work hard mentality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very motivating. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I was in the same position. You were so funny. Like, I, I was, I'm a huge Madden guy. I love Madden. Yeah. I would play Madden like all day. And my wife, like, <laughs> she'd leave the house and be like, oh, it's another hour for Madden. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you do, you get in a funk. You kind of get to a point where you have to keep grinding and creating and doing things. And you're, you've never made it. Like, you need to quit the you've made it mentality and always find new things. All right, cool. So we got one last question for you. It is, if someone came up to you today and said, I want to be a pilot, what would you say to them? One, one of the, I get this question a lot. And one of the first things that comes out of their mouth is, I don't, I'm worried about money. Sometimes right. money's an issue for a lot of guys. And I would tell you, don't worry about the money. Like you can get, if you need student loans, you can get the loans. Don't worry about the money. If you're already thinking about being a pilot, you probably have the bug. So that, that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is, don't do it for the money. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of guys think and they get caught in that and they see the, you know, 60 year old, you know, Delta captain, you know, making 300 grand a year or whatever it right. is. And that's the lifestyle. I'm only going to work three days a month and make all this money. That time can come, but you're going to be 60 years old. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, exactly. By then yeah. you got grandkids. It's a different story. Yeah. Do it because you like, you better love it. Here's a story. I, I was that guy. I got out of flying. I, I, I started, got my private license, took two years off, went and lived in Brazil for a couple of years and then came back and was like, ah, I don't know if I want to fly. I started looking at like pre-dental school and like accounting and some other things. Yeah. I got back into it cause I had to do it. So explore. Like if you're like, if you ask that question, you're not sure you're hundred percent, you want to do it, try some other things. And if you just like, Nope, I got to be a pilot. Like that's how you'll know for sure. You'll come back to it. So you know, and then just and then just be patient and put your put your head down and go to work and fly and be cool with people because you never know who's going to help you in your career. Like get involved with the flight department. That's I think one thing I wish I would have done is been more engaged with some of the guys around me. Like I, you know, I have friends there, but I was so busy with other things. I, I think I wish I would have spent more time building stronger relationships with those right. those guys and girls in the flight department. Yeah, I love the advice that you give. Don't do it for the money. It is like if you are in aviation for the money, like, yeah, there's a time and place where you will make money, but that time is so far away from where you are right now. You're not going to be able to, it's like what we're talking about, the mentality when you are a new flight instructor or say you have 300 hours and you're flying for an aerial survey company, you have to get to 1500 hours and you're not going to make any money in the meantime doing that. And it is very easy to get burnt out on the hard work, the amount of hours you got to fly. 
flying through thunderstorms when you're not making very much money is not a very good motivator to continue being a pilot. <laughs> so you cannot have the mentality of you're in this for money or else it's going to be very hard for you to want to continue that career. Yep. Yeah. And, and the money comes, you know, like, and, and it can come surprisingly fast, especially now where there's the demand. So just, I mean, you got to love it. You got to love travel and, and flying airplanes and, and then, and then it's okay. Then you would, the whole, you don't work a day in your life thing. I think it's a little bit BS, but, <laughs> but it, there's a lot of truth to yeah. it too. Yeah. Aviation. I'd like to hear that person say, don't work a day in your life when you got to land with like a 50 knot crosswind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some days you do work. Some days you earn your money. Oh, pilots definitely earn their money some days, but there are days where it's very nice and you just get to sit back and relax and enjoy it. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on this podcast. I think what you had to say in your story will really be able to help captivate an audience and will be able to encourage people to come into this awesome career of ours. I, um, Thank you so much for coming on the show, and I look forward to working with you in the future, whether it be on vlogs, whether it be on anything you want to do. Just let me know. We'll be here for you. Hey, thank you so much for having me, um, and I look forward. Yeah, let's let's do something. Let's let's make something happen. That would be awesome. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope you enjoyed the fact of seeing where this podcast has come with episode number two to where it is today. If you did enjoy this, uh, go check out some of the other old episodes. There are 192 episodes that you can go check out and see some really cool stories. Let me know. Email me. Send me a message if you like this. I'll, I'll post some more. Maybe have a separate day dedicated just for some throwbacks every once in a while, maybe uh, once a month or something like that. But Aviation, I hope you're all having a great day, and as always, happy flying.